What a beautiful video, right? If you're wondering, uh, our worship pastor, Joel, that's what his house is like all the time. Yeah. His kids always, it's just, I envy it, you know? Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, my name is Sam. I am the Shakopee Campus Youth Pastor, and so I get to serve alongside uh, Matt Himple uh, with working with the 6th grade all the way through 12th graders here at this campus. Um, I'm also over our college ministry, and so that's what I get to do here at Friendship. I've been serving in the youth ministry here for a little over 10 years now, which is crazy to say. Um, and uh, it's just been such a joy uh, getting to serve uh, your, your kids and to serve alongside many of you. Uh, we have the best volunteer youth leaders. Uh, really, our ministry would not happen without you guys. So uh, shout out to you guys. Thank you for all that you do. Um, I'm blessed. I just get to be a part of the ministry that God's doing here at this campus and at Friendship Church as a whole. So that's a little bit about me. I'll share a little bit about me uh, as I keep going. But it's my pleasure. I get to kick off this series. We're jumping into a Christmas series called God Is. Our pastors, as they were looking at uh, what to do during this Christmas season, it really raised to the forefront that when we, look at, uh, when we look at Christmas and we look at the Christmas narrative, that one of the things that just jumps off the page is that there are characteristics or attributes of God that are just highlighted in a way that maybe we don't see uh, in, in some places that are just really illuminated in a really cool way that we wanted to highlight. And so um, today, I'm going to be walking through God is sovereign. Um, and I want to start by saying this. Uh, this is a, a topic that's quite big. And so uh, in the three hours that I'll be talking to you this morning, I'm uh, just kidding. Now, in, in our time this morning, uh, I won't be able to fully cover the sovereignty of God. Okay, it's a, it's a big topic. I'd really encourage you uh, to continue to dive deeper in this on your own. But I do hope to start by looking at uh, the fact that God is sovereign. And then if he's sovereign... And because he is sovereign, three things that that, um, how that relates to us in our lives and things that, truths that we can hold on to uh, on a daily basis. So I want to start by praying and then we'll jump right in. Lord Jesus, thank you for an opportunity right now to meet in your name, to gather as a community, to worship together because you are worthy of it, and to spend time in your word I pray right now, God, that you would help me to get out of the way so that your word would be forefront. Holy Spirit, illuminate your scriptures that we might see who you are, that we might know you more and want to become more like you. And God, I pray that as we understand you and your sovereignty, I pray that it would uh, bubble out of us in worship. We love you so much. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So God is sovereign. To start, um, this is a little definition that I put together. This isn't if you were to like go to a dictionary or something, you wouldn't find this. But this was just as I was preparing, trying to describe the sovereignty of God. What does his sovereignty look like? Um, I would say that it is ruling with absolute power and authority over all things. It also means that he has the right, the rightful authority to bring about whatever he wants to happen. Now, we, we notice this sovereignty from the very first page, the very first sentence of Scripture, right? Very first sentence is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning, God created, which 
well, one, it shows that God is not a part of creation. He's outside of creation, that he is the creator of all things, means that he was before all things, which means that he is outside of space, time, matter. He is not controlled by, dictated by any of those things. He created those things and is in control of those things. If you've ever created anything in your life, if you ever made something, you are the owner of that thing. You understand that thing the best. It is yours, and you get to do with it whatever you want because it's yours. God is the creator over all things. So, therefore, he has absolute power and authority over all things. Now, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, the bullet point there, is that some of us might immediately think about some bad examples of humans who have a limited sovereignty, right? They might be the sovereign of a, a, a country, they might be an emperor, a king, a president, whatever, who have used that authority that they had poorly. And so when, when you hear absolute power and authority over all things to do whatever he wants to do, that might conjure up a, like, a negative thought. But remember who God is. And these are just a couple more of his attributes. God is holy. That means separate, other than. He is different than any person that you've ever met. He is holy. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and good. So when we say that God is sovereign, it comes in the package of who God is, that he is all-powerful, in control over all things, as a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, good God. And so, uh, to help us understand sovereignty, I want to start by reading a couple of quotes and then a couple of verses to maybe help us wrap our heads around what sovereignty means, and then we'll look at how it maybe applies to our life. So first, from Jen Wilkin, she says this, there are no limits on what he controls. Thus, whatever he wills, he does. He is completely free to act according to what he decrees. He requires permission from no one because he needs nothing from anyone, knows all things, is everywhere present, and holds all power. No one exists who could possibly trump or challenge his plans. His limitlessness in every area points to his sovereignty over all things. One other quote from uh, A.W. Tozer. No one can dissuade him from his purposes. Nothing turns him aside from his plans. Since he is omniscient, there can be no unforeseen circumstances, no accidents. As he is sovereign, there can be no countermanded orders or breakdown in authority. And because he is all-powerful or omnipresent, sorry, um, I always get this one wrong. Mike, omnipotent. omnipotent, nailed it. Because he's omnipotent, there can be no want of power to achieve his chosen ends. God is sufficient unto himself for all things. So as we get into this idea of God being sovereign, as you can see, it's kind of a big topic, and there's a lot of ways that we could go. But I want to I really look at three scriptures that maybe help us see that it starts by meaning that God is over all things. He has that authority. He is in control. So Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. If you want a good definition to highlight in, in your Bible, that might be a, a solid one to go to, uh, that he is God, which means that there is none like him. He is totally other than, right, holy. He knows the end from the beginning, and 
his counsel will stand. Everything that he has, that he purposes to do, he will accomplish. Uh, to give an example of this, in Job, uh, I'd really encourage you to read the book of Job if you haven't, or if you haven't in a while. Uh, Job has a bad day. That's the summary of that. And um, starts having this conversation with God, and God explaining who he is and what he is over. He talks in chapter 37, and he says this, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour, so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out of its chamber, the cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice, and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. Now, as a Minnesotan, I thought that this would be an apt passage to encourage us with. Some of us might think that as snow and cold come, that that might mean that God is absent. But nope, that's not what it means. God is sovereign over all the weather. And so as the snow falls, it was he who loaded the clouds with moisture, scatters lightnings through the cloud, drops the snow where it's called, tells it whether to be a light rain or a heavy rain, and he brings the rain and snow, whether it's to punish or to bless. God is in control and he is over it. Think about Jesus, right? With just a word, Jesus says, be still, and the storm was still. God is in control and he has authority over all things, including weather, and over us. One last passage, Job 42, another good highlight passage. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It's a really good response by Job and a really good definition of what it means that God is sovereign. He can do all things and no purpose of his can be thwarted. No one can stop him from what he wants to do. He is in full control. So that's what it means that God is sovereign. But I want to give you an example that maybe helps put a little meat on the bones. Um, so this is my family. Uh, my wife, Amy, she is fantastic. Uh, she also works at the church. If you haven't met her, uh, yeah, she's around. Uh, and then I have two daughters, Talia and Zyla. And so the, the close-up there on the side is of Zyla. And uh, I want to tell you a quick story about her. So um, a couple days, we actually just got to... Uh, uh, dedicate her on the stage two weeks ago, so that was really fun during first service. Um, but a couple days after that, we had a doctor's appointment, normal doctor's appointment. We had a couple of shots that she needed to get. So I want to tell you this story from Zyla's perspective, okay? So she wakes up, and it's a day just like any other day. It's a normal day, and life is pretty good. Mom and dad, sister is trying to give me way too many hugs, but I love her, so it's fine. Uh, mom and dad are great. This is going good. And then they pack me up in the car. I hate the car, okay? I don't know why. It's just, I just don't like it, okay? Car seat, anyway. So that, that part was pretty bad. But when we finally get there, they get me out of the car. 
great. Now we're in a place I've been here before. I can't really put my finger on it, but that's okay. And we go in, and then we meet this lady, and she seems kind of nice, I guess, but then she pulls out this needle, and she sticks it in my leg. How? Why is this? Wait, is that another one? Ah! Pain. Okay. Scene. Thank you. If you're wondering, yes, I did do a one-act play in high school. <laughs> I know it comes right out. Anyway, um, so, from Zyla's perspective, that moment of pain, she had to be asking the question, Mom, Dad, why are you letting this lady do this to me? Get me out of here. Stop this. To her, it doesn't make any sense. It's just pain, it's, and, and then we moved on with our lives. But as her father, I planned that. It was on the calendar. It was on purpose. I brought her to that place to get a shot, not because I wanted her to be in pain, but because I believed that that was a good thing for her in the long run. We have a sovereign God who knows and sees and understands far more than we, can, than we could ever understand. He understands and he sometimes brings us into difficult, hard, sometimes painful things because of what it will produce in us. Sometimes we experience pain because it's our fault. Okay, we also sin and sometimes in our sin, God allows us to experience pain. But guess what? He's going to use that pain to then work in us if we choose to follow him, he will use that pain for our good. But, but sometimes the good things in life and the painful things in life, sometimes that's because God is directing and leading because he is over all things. And it, if, if it's within his good will to choose to do so, he will do that thing. And he is a good father who knows us and has a plan for us. Which leads me to the first of my three points. So um, point, I guess four points, because point one was he is sovereign. If we are in agreement that he is, and maybe you're not at that point, that's okay, then you can kind of add the if he's sovereign. But I'm going to say because he is sovereign, there's three things that I believe we can hold on to. And the first is this. I can trust him and his promises. If we have a sovereign God who's in control of all things, over all things, knows all things, then I can trust him. Now, this is a, a Christmas series, and you might feel like this isn't very Christmassy yet. I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm going to touch on the Christmas story, but I really do want to focus on more of the 30,000-foot view of God being sovereign and how that relates to a Christmas story and to our lives. But in Galatians 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the very beginning points us to Christmas Day, that in the fullness of time, God sent his son to be born. That there is this plan, and God works and interacts through history to bring about all of the proper things so that at the right time, Jesus is born. And 
Jesus is born so that, verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law. That's us. We are lawbreakers. We are under the law. We have broken the law. And as those under the law, Jesus is born to redeem us. And I love, I love verse 6. Uh, verse 5, end of 5 into 6. That you might receive adop- adoption as sons because you are sons God has sent his spirit So there's this beautiful picture. Sometimes, when we think about the gospel, we think about Jesus dying for us so that our sins would be paid for, and that's true. But you realize that doesn't, God doesn't just cleanse us of our sin. He adopts us as a son, that we might be heirs alongside him of the kingdom of God, and gives us his spirit to live within us, that we might become more like him and live out his will and purpose. Like, it's, it's not just that God wants to take care of our sin problem. That would be enough, and that's amazing in and of itself, but God also wants to bring us in, adopting us, that we might be a child of God with his spirit to live out what he's called us to do. That is amazing and beautiful. And and how we get here, this fullness of time, is seen through some prophecies uh, as in, Prophecy being that before it happened, God said it would happen. And so through prophets in the Old Testament, years, many years, uh, before Jesus is born, God said, this is how you'll know that the Messiah has come. Now, I'm not going to read each of these verses, but I do want to put them on the screen so you can see them. Um, In Isaiah 7, there's a sign that's coming that the Messiah will be born of a virgin, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a pretty good sign, because that's not a normal occurrence. Um, so if, if you see a baby born of a virgin, Messiah. Okay, so that's good to know. Then, in Micah 5, that this Messiah is going to be born in the town of Bethlehem. God got very specific here, could have just said, in Israel somewhere. No, nope. in the town of Bethlehem. Born of a virgin, town of Bethlehem. And then, Throughout the Old Testament, we see this genealogy. The very beginning of Matthew 1, if you're wondering why when you open up in the first page of the New Testament, there's this long list of names, well, it's important. It's the genealogy of Jesus. It's pointing to who he is because all the Old Testament shows us that the Messiah is going to come through this promised line, through the line of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and of David. And so you go to Matthew 1 and you see in the line of Jesus all of these names and more pointing to the fact that he is the one who's been promised. Now, this promised one, what is he called, what is he coming to do? The very first uh, promise that we have, Genesis 3. So God in Genesis 1 creates, and by Genesis 3, humans have messed it up and sinned. We've already broken God's law. And in the midst of God telling them the punishment for their sin and and what the consequences are going to be, in verse 15, he gives a promise that there's one coming, born of a woman who's going to be the serpent crusher. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. The first promise that a Messiah is coming to deal with our sin problem. And then, at the very end of the book, in Revelation, there is a picture of the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. 
So I want to explain that for a second. What does that mean? Um, it means that Jesus coming to die for your sins was not the backup plan. Before creation, God knew what it would cost to create man in his image with the ability to choose to follow him or not. God knew before he created that when he took dust and formed it into man and breathed life into his lungs, that that man would sin against him. And that that sin has a penalty, which is death. And that all who sin after him would carry that same penalty of death. And that somebody would have to die. And that it would require a perfect sacrifice. A perfect lamb in our place in order to take that punishment from us. God knew before the creation, before he said, let there be light, God knew what it would cost, that it would cost his son to die on the cross for us. And he thought it was worth it to create you knowing that you too would sin. And it was worth it to send his son to be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem in a manger. That he would grow up, live a perfect life, teach us what the kingdom of God is like, and then die in our place for our sin so that we don't have to have an eternal death of separation from God, but instead have life now and for eternity. And God knew that before he said, let there be light. From the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain. God sees, he knows, and he is at work. So when he makes a promise, he keeps it. Because he, he knows. And so when he makes a promise, he's not just making something and hoping that it works out. He is saying what he's going to do. And his works, his will is never thwarted. When God makes a promise, he comes through on that promise, including promises like this, Romans 10. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I can hold on to the promise now and for eternity that all who call on the name of the Lord are saved. If you are willing to repent of your sin, to humble yourself, and to choose to follow Christ, to give your life to him, that he is the Lord of your life, you will be saved. All. All who depend on the work of Christ and not the work of me will be saved. Okay, second thing. So, the first is, because God's sovereign, I can trust him and I can trust his promises. The second thing is, because he is sovereign, I don't need to fear. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go deep into my uh, story, but many of you know that uh, as a kid, I was the most anxious, shy kid you would ever meet. I let anxiety dictate my life. It, it was the Lord of my life. So anxiety told me what I got to do and what I didn't get to do. 
the fact that I'm up here at all is full testimony to God because seven-year-old Sam would be just terrified right now um, to be standing in front of people at all. And so God is good. We don't have to fear. And a part of that is because of verses like this. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So in 1 Peter 5, it starts with humility. Got to admit that I can't do it. Uh, I, 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 a lot of, I've heard the, the phrase, the, God will never give you more than you can handle. Uh, I think that's a lie, or at least as it's phrased, that's a lie. You are going to experience a lot in your life that you cannot handle on your own. Um, you are not good enough. You cannot do it. Now, with Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can do all things because of him who is strong. I humble myself under whose mighty hand? God's mighty hand, not mine. I do not have the strength. I cannot do it. But he who is all-powerful and over all things, he can. So we cast our cares on him because he is strong and he can hold it, and because he cares for you. Does it ever strike you how crazy it is that the God of all the universe, we're talking about a, a sovereign God, one who has control over all things and has authority over all things, that that God cares for you, knows you, knit you together in your mother's womb, knows the number of hairs on your head, knows your name and your concerns and your cares, and says, cast them on me because I care for you. Just me? That that blows my mind, that, that, I have, that there's a God out there like that who cares for me? And that, backing up that to Romans 8, that that God is working all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Which means that whether I experience pain like Zyla did getting a shot or joys, I can know that God is taking all of those things and working them together for my good. Man, we have a good, amazing God. And it leads to us to verses like James 1 when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Who here, when they get a trial, are like, yes, trial, right? All joy. Giving high fives out, like, guess what I got today? Pain. Fantastic. Is that what it says, though? To count it all joy when we experience trials, but why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can take joy when there's trials because we know that God is working all things together for my good, that he's using those things to produce in me a maturity, to produce in me 
that I might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You want to know who that sounds like? Who's perfect and complete and lacking nothing? Yeah, church answer, Jesus, nailed it. I'm called to become more and more like Jesus. And God's going to use trials, difficulties. Not exclusively, but he will. We're promised that this life is going to be difficult. Who here has experienced that life is difficult? Ah, participation, I love it. Ah, so, I wasn't confident when I put my hand up that anyone else would follow that. But the reality is this. Life is challenging. And we all have different challenges and different experiences, but we all have trials. We all have difficulties. Some of you might be experiencing one right now, one that feels like more than you can handle, one that might be more than you can handle. Some of you might be going into the Christmas season not with the joy that so many around you are feeling, but with pain because of somebody who won't be there this year or because of financial troubles that you can't do what you hoped you could do or because your time is too stretched thin and I can't make it to all the places or do all the things or I have to work over Christmas or fill in the blank. But we know that God is a good God who is over all things, that he is working together all things for my good, and that when I experience a trial, that it is not outside of his hand, that he sees and he knows and he is in control and he wants to be there with you in the midst of your trials. Now, because this is a Christmas series, I should probably use an example from the Christmas story, right? You guys have been just waiting for this. It's like, he's going to talk about Christmas. I just know it. All right. So a little bit. I want to look at Mary. And here's a couple of things that Mary could have feared or had anxiety around during the Christmas narrative. First, when she is told that she is going to be with child and then has to talk to, essentially, her, her fiancé. Most guys, when they find out that their fiancé is pregnant and it's not theirs, don't stick around very long. And that could have been a real fear for Mary, that this blessing from God might mean, might cost me relationship. Later on, at nine months pregnant, she has to go for a census 90 miles-ish. And also, they didn't have nice SUVs and things like that to travel in. So it would have been a little bit of a rough thing. Um, so she's experiencing the government telling her something that she has to do and she has to travel these 90 miles and do the thing and difficult. And there might be a lot of anxiety around that. Oh, also, Joseph did not go online and book a room. So when they get there, they have no place to stay. Oh, by the way, when the king finds out about this baby that you're having, he wants to kill it. So that's cool. Um, and he sends out a decree to kill all the babies in that region. So that would cause anxiety. Finally, in order to flee and escape this call of, of this murderous rant that this king is on, they travel to Egypt, and they don't have enough provisions to make it. 
So there's a few things that Mary might be experiencing in this short window of time. And does it sound anything like what we go through? Anxieties about relationships, travel, where to stay and live, about your baby, life and death, provisions. Mary's experiencing all of these things, and Joseph. But here's what we know. We have a sovereign God who's in control, and he provides an angel to talk to Joseph, to tell him about this baby that Mary has. He is with them as they travel. He provides for them, not an inn, but instead a manger. He warns them about Herod and sends wise men to give gifts that they might have what they need to make travel to Egypt. God sees, he knows, he is in control, and he cares for you. So we don't need to fear. Last point. We can trust him, we don't need to fear, and if he is sovereign and because he is sovereign, I can truly rest. Think about the reality that if God is over all things and he cares for you, then what do I have to fear? Also, if I don't have anything to fear, that's when I can find true rest. You will never find rest if you put on your own shoulders that I have to do it, that I have to be strong enough, that I have to provide, that I have to fix, that I have to care for, that I have to... It, the more eyes that you pile on, you will never find real rest. It's only in surrendering those things to the Lord that you will find rest. When you find yourself in a place where you say, God, only you, then I can take a deep breath of real rest that he has all those things in the palm of his hand. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't do things. I'm not saying that that means sit on your couch and do nothing. What I am saying is that we put the trust in the one who is mighty, in the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who knows. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have a God who invites us, come to me. He's not just this absent creator God who sends everybody on their way and says, good luck. But he knows you and says, come to me. Come all who labor and are heavy laden. If you are burdened, if you feel like this weight is on you, those who are working and tired and burnt out, come to me and take my yoke upon you. Jesus says, I want to walk with you through your trials. The thing that I realized as an anxious kid who started to believe scripture is that 
when I pray, God usually doesn't just eliminate the anxious thing. Like, ah, anxiety, poof. Like, that's not how God normally operates. Usually, what God does is when I have an anxious situation in front of me and I pray, Jesus comes alongside and says, let's do this together. And he bears the burden with me. And he carries the weight. And I don't have to worry about knowing all the things and carrying all the things and doing all the things because I know that he is in control and he cares for me. Psalm 46. I want to end in a little bit of a unique way. Um, I want to call us to do something interactive and so I hope that you'd be willing to do this with me. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So I want us to do this. I want us to practice this for just a minute. To be still and know that he is God. And so for a minute, let's not look at our phones or talk to our neighbor, but let's just Rest, be still, and remember that he is God. And then, if there's a burden or anxiety on your heart right now, cast your cares on him. Come to him. Because he cares for you. Abide, remain with him, hold tight to him. So, we're going to, do that for just a minute let's be still if it helps you can close your eyes whatever that looks like but let's be still before the Lord and remember the sovereign God who we praise Lord of all we thank you for your word for how you have revealed yourself to us that we might know that you are the God of all things 
that you hold all things in your hand and that you love us. God, I, I just lift up to you the prayers that were brought before you just now and those that maybe aren't spoken yet that represented in this room there are many who are struggling. There are many who feel burned out, who need rest, who have fears and anxieties and need somebody to bear that, or who are struggling to believe one of your promises. And for each and every person here, I pray that you would move. God, that you would show each and every one of us how strong your mighty hand is, how faithful you are to your promises, that we would trust you, cast our cares on you, and rest in you, and that out of that, that you would just bubble up in us a worship for your name because you are worthy. We love you, Jesus. We thank you.